Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We finally got a big game to talk about. Oregon Ducks, 20th in the AP poll. Stanford Cardinals, 7th in the AP poll. Who do you got winning this football game? Stanford favored on the road by two and a half points. If that's not disrespect, I don't know what is, Duck fans. 503-417-7575. 503-417-7575. I'm Judah Newby. Neil Lomax, the College Football Hall of Famer, across from me. This is Countdown to Kickoff on 1029-750. The game. What is up, Neil Lomax? In the house. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, we've had a lot of it's six days now. A lot of talk, a lot of hype. College game days here. Mm-hmm. Kurt Herbstreit never called me back. I'm not for. I got a lot of beefs today. I got three or four of them. <laughs> Lay it One, on he never called me back. Okay, okay. I had two ex Stanford uh, quarterbacks that I played with back in the day. They're both busy. Left a message for Elway. You know what the heck? Come on, John. You got something else to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't but, know. I don't my old he's... buddy Steve Dills. People out there remember Steve Dills. I just talked to him this morning. He's on a business trip. He back way back in the day. We used to play against each other. A great guy from Fort Vancouver High School. So I got to give a little plug to the Trappers where I'm at right now. And but just man, come on. And then Lee Corso, come on, Lee. <laughs> Man, I met you like from 1984-85. You're in the locker room with us, the Cardinals. Got to know you pretty well. He doesn't call. So I am so low. My self-esteem is really dropped. Hey. So you got to beat me up a little bit here. Those well, are my my three little complaints today. The, the Neil Lomax beefs. But we got a big game finally. I Huge love game. it. All right, coming up on the show, we're going to talk to Tyson Alger of The Athletic. He will join us live from Watson at 345. Make an appointment for that. Programming note. At 4 o'clock, myself and Neil Lomax will go from 1029 750 the game and just go tick, 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 tick down the FM dial to 101.1 FM KXL. From 4 to 5, that's the last hour of our pregame show. We'll be over on KXL, and that's where we're going to be making our game predictions for this game. In the meantime, if you're going down to Eugene right now, if you're setting up shop, if you're listening to us on the 1029 750 the game app, which someone told me last week, they go to the games. They get field access pregame, and they get to listen to our show on the 1029-750 The Game app as kickoff approaches, Neil. I mean, that to me is the perfect setup. You're on the field, you're getting ready, and you're listening to Neil Omax tell you about the oh, game. What, what else That's do you perfect. want? How Come many on. perks? That is some, that is the, <laughs> you go Wikipedia, you look up that, you Google perk. That's it, right that's there. It, yeah. Wow, that's better than backstage passes to Bruce Springsteen when I used to have those. That's that's wow. pretty nice. Backstage to the oh, boss. Oh yeah. yeah. You, did you meet him years ago? No, he he he. Uh, he's like Lee Corso he and Lee. Kurt <laughs> led me on, hanging the back. Adam to the beef. Never never came and saw me though. But I'm still back backstage. Gotta love it, St. Louis, Missouri. Favorite Springsteen song? Oh, there's too many. There's oh, Glory Days. Oh, yeah. I tell you, I mean, I still relive that myself. You know, come on, Glory Days. Don't, don't you can I know picture it. yourself in that bar right there. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a, that's a great song. I love it. Well, we'll talk more Springsteen along the way. I can guarantee you that. But uh, coming up as well, we'll we'll be breaking down this game matchup by matchup. Of course, we'll be talking about Bryce Love. How did the Ducks stop him? Of course, we'll be talking about Justin Herbert. What kind of implications does this game have for number ten of the Oregon Ducks? Is he ready for the stage? Is he ready? for a Heisman moment because he hasn't had these opportunities in his career. That'll be coming up later on as well. Who are the guys not named Justin Herbert, not named Bryce Love, who are going to have an impact in this game? 
because it's a 60-minute game. A lot of guys are going to yeah. touch the football. A lot of guys are going to have to fly around defensively, both for the Cardinal and the Ducks, to make plays in this game. But let's start with the national stage, Neil. College game day was here. It's the 10th time that game day has been to Eugene. I went down there Friday. I got to meet a bunch of the game day crew. Got to talk to David Pollock. Got to talk to Reese Davis. You'll be hearing from both of them later on today as well. Chris Felica, the Bear, making all his picks against the spread. It was so fun. That being said, this is a huge stage from for a college kid. 5 p.m. ABC prime time. You're someone that played a decade long in the NFL. How do you compare a stage like this to some of the stages you played on in your NFL career? Well, it's collegiately, I can't. You know, from the college level at Portland State, I it's easy to say, oh, I know what he's going through. I don't. I just know professionally when you had to play in that Monday night game, we only played in four or five of those, or the, the a playoff game. When I was in my fourth year, we had a playoff game with the Redskins. I mean, waiting for that 7 o'clock kickoff, though. Yeah. That was the difference, too, with, with pros, even college. Here's a 5 o'clock kick, and it's not that late for West Coast, but still, you got a lot of time to sit around. But, again, my thing is they haven't played Oregon. Just haven't played anybody in three weeks. Have not played anybody. Both these teams have had three home games. This is the first road game for Stanford. So it's almost like the beginning of the season, and to put them on this type of stage right away, that's what I'm – it's not just Justin. It's the receiving core because it's been platoon system. You know, nine – they've been averaging eight to nine guys touching balls from Jalen Red to J.J., all those guys, they've been touching balls. Mm-hmm. We got six, seven running backs. We or touching balls. Right. So it's that's why that's why college is because you don't have a cap on a roster. So a lot of players playing early on in three games. And now it's uh oh, now it really counts. Do you still see that platoon? Do you still see seven, eight different receivers coming? That's what I'm looking for to anything else is does Mario Cristobal and Arroyo use that platoon offensively? that that many guys are getting a chance to touch it because Justin Herbert's got to go to his all of a sudden. There's two or three guys that I really trust. That's what it kind of comes down to. So I'm looking for that part of the game, not just what does Justin Herbert do, how many different players, how many different athletes are coming in all the time. And that will probably show itself at critical moments. Third downs, red zones. Those are the times when the trust factor really will manifest itself. And, I mean, if I was to give conjecture on who I think Herbert trusts, I mean, one of the names that comes up early is Jalen Red, who seems to have produced really highly in Game 1 and Game 2. Yeah, well, he's going to tell you he trusts everybody. Uh, He will, but, I mean, from from what you've seen from from the Ducks through three games, who do you think he trusts And and they've been practicing that. I think you bring up a valid and and a really good point is they've been practicing this. What situation on third and six plus? Mm -hmm. It's third and three to five. It's second and ten plus money down. This right this is what they practice. It's situation practices, situation uh, instances that come up every game. That these great teams, not just good teams, these great teams practice those situations every single day. And there's your platoon. You might see Dylan Mitchell and Brandon Schooler come in on third and six plus, but there's a little special package for third and three to six because Stanford plays majority of a cover one. Five across man, one free on top. So in that situation, here comes, you might see Johnny Johnson and then Jalen Red, Tabari Hines. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. what Oregon will work on. And again, he's not going to go, well, who do I trust? It's in this situation, here's who, here's, here's who should be open. And that's what he is. It's all these combines, complex routes that he's going to find the open receiver. And that's what he does so well. Another factor going into this is what kind of role Autzen Stadium will play. 
This is a venue that's notorious for being one of the toughest to play for Pac-12 opponents. That being said, the last time it was an overwhelming factor, probably 2014, the Michigan State game. The last time game day was there, a week two game, when Marcus Mariota in his junior year had his first quote-unquote Heisman moment with a flip to Royce Freeman on third and 11 late in the third quarter to turn a 28-16 to deficit into a 49-26 to win going away for the Oregon Ducks against Mike D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio. I still get that mixed up with Mike D'Antonio. Well, he coaches too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark D'Antonio, who still has not smiled in his entire <laughs> life. That being said, will Autzen be a factor today? I mean, it, it has that notoriety, like I said, but it hasn't been that way, at least not to that level, in quite some time. It should be packed. All the season ticket holders should be there. No one's spawning away their tickets the way they did for Portland State and San Jose State and Bowling Green. <laughs> I mean, Neil, when you've played in tough road environments as an NFL quarterback, what kind of factor did that have? Well, this, it has a huge factor because you the home team feeds off that energy. Uh, the only way a visiting team feeds off the energy is you quiet that crowd. The only way to quiet, quiet that crowd is you're going to score early and you score often and all of a sudden it's 14 nothing mm. or 14 7 you're controlling that ball now you got to hear yourself in the huddle now you don't need a silent count so i guarantee you stanford's been working on a silent count they've been they've been practicing with the speakers going full bore because this place will be electric i mean if you heard jordan kent talked about it man he knows he was there i listened to him earlier on the show it's going to be absolutely electric. That duck's going to come out with that Harley, the motorcycle, smoke, music. Now, how long will that last? Because this is four quarters. This game will be a three-and-a-half-hour bloodbath. It's going to be physical. It's going to be big plays, bad plays. And we're going to get into it in the next, you know, all our segments to talk about it. But this place will be jumping out of that gym for the first 15, 20 minutes. It's going to be really fun to watch. This is the third time that college game day has been in Eugene when the Ducks have played Stanford. That's right. The last time, 2012. It included a lot of controversy. Stanford went into Autzen as a 20-point underdog with Oregon the number one team in the AP poll at the time. Freshman year, Marcus Mariota. And the Ducks were number two in the BCS. Kansas State was already going to lose. Oregon was a win away from basically sealing their spot to face Alabama in the national title game. This is what happened with 90 seconds left, first and goal for Stanford, and a tight end by the name of Zach Ertz making plays. The number two team back on its heels. First down and goal. They blitz Hogan, fires in zone. Ertz hangs on. Oh, my. No, they said it was down. Oh, what an effort over there by Zach Ertz. Oh, we'll take another look at this one. And I don't know if the ball ever touched the ground. Now, maybe by the time he possessed it, his back did. But did the football ever touch the ground? I believe we're going to have, I believe there's an overturn here. The ball's already been moved before the announcement. After review, the receiver had control of the ball when he wow. returned to the ground with his right shoulder. Touchdown. I, I have to agree with that. Wow. Oh, controversy in 2012. I don't mean to bring that up just to troll Duck fans. I really <laughs> don't. But a couple of levels, that's so significant. It was the only loss that season for the Oregon Ducks. And they end up crushing Kansas State in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Chip Kelly's final year. That was the wrong call by today's standards of what and what is not a catch. Zach Ertz, of all things, the all-pro <laughs> tight end in the NFL. 
pulling it down late on a November night in 2012 with Musburger and Herb Street on the call. And it was the wrong call. Oregon was chipped in 2012 against Stanford the last time we had a stage like this. Neil, this is this is a chance to get some redemption from that, some justice. It's time for the Ducks to show up and beat Stanford in this game. And, and I think they will. And that and that's, uh, you know, again, Brent Musburger on the call. And, and, and I still don't know what a catch is. Okay, it's, it's five, six, seven years later. I, st- I don't think anybody still figured out what a catch or was not a catch. But, again, it's going to be electric down there. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Hogan. That He was a four-year starter for that Stanford Cardinal team. I mean, they must have had, I think, six, six tight ends in four years were drafting their pros. Oh, six. Yeah. Then they lost Christian McCaffrey a couple years ago. Not a bad player either. At one point, they had Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love, and Central Catholic grad Cam Scarlett in the same backfield. In fact, that was the backfield they had in 2016, the last time they were at Autzen. What's going to be the key to stopping Bryce Love for the Duck defense? We'll talk about that coming up. Plus, Tyson Alger ahead of us on Countdown to Kickoff. This is my type of football. I mean, I, can, I think I'm versatile enough to play any type of football, but I like physical downhill football, and that's what they are, so that's what I'm here to do. This is my type of football. That quote from Jordan Scott, nose tackle of the Oregon Ducks, and boy, it's going to have to be his type of football in this game because Jordan Scott is going to play a key role for the Duck defense trying to slow down the Stanford Russian attack headlined by Bryce Love. Welcome back. Countdown to kickoff. Chuda Newby, Neil Lomax on 102.9-750, the game board of Oregon College Game Day. Ducks and Stanford kicking off at 5 o'clock on ABC. Neil, we're talking about the Stanford rush attack against the Oregon run defense. Bryce Love, Heisman runner-up from last year, the Doak Walker Award winner from 2017, eclipsed 2,000 yards. This guy... Man, he, he draws all the headlines. It's not like, though, he's without help. The way Stanford O-line blocks for him, that's impressive stuff. Almost any running back could have success in, in that system. But stopping Love and, and that Stanford rush attack, easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, it is. And they just don't have Bryce Love. I think when you have that kind of running game, and Cameron Scarlett has getting a lot of touches as well. And like you talked about, I, I think it's tight end university. They've had so many great blocking tight ends and dual threat tight ends. We call them the Y position, right next to the extended from the tackle. That that's what makes that running game go. Because all of a sudden you're opening that up with a little play action. We call them flashes and freshes, the zone read things where you can drop that ball to these guys who've been uh, awesome. As I mentioned, there were six or seven guys who've been drafted in the NFL in the last six, four and a half years, four wow. or five years. Wow. Um, and you mentioned Ertz, and they they missed a good one last year when uh, Dalton Schultz. Got mm. drafted too, I think, by the Cowboys. Yeah, I watched him last year. He's good. So watch. Here's the tight ends you need to watch for: Cody Parkinson and Caden Smith and Trenton Irwin. Those are three guys. They rotate in. A couple guys, the wide receivers, but they come in and go tight, and that's a big part of their running attack. Because when you talk about the running attack, <laughs> Walter Little, Devery Hamilton, Jesse Burkett, Nate Herbick, and and Ethic uh, Wall Hall at the right tackle. Those five guys, I think, if not as good. But they will match up with the five that we've talked about, the Ducks uh, offensive line. And Throckmorton, he, he talked about that too, about he's impressed. I heard him about a few days ago talking about how those Stanford guys, he he's impressed and respects those linemen like he respects his own guys. And that's saying a lot when guys, you, that's your peer, you kind of look across the line at different guys in the, in the conference, yeah. at the league, and go, I'm impressed with those guys because they're like me. And we heard Mario Cristobal said about Throckmorton, what amazing 
work ethic, and it's kind of cool to me to hear an offensive lineman talk about other offensive linemen like that. So, okay, credit to Bryce Love, whatever, but those guys up front will make or break this game. Well, let's dig into that a little bit more. I think that's the beauty of games like this. There is no question the trench war is the number one priority in this game. Who's going to win the line of scrimmage in this game? And I love these type of games because the game plan is so crystallized. Who wins the line of scrimmage? The Ducks or Stanford? Well, you mentioned Walker Little, left tackle for Stanford. 6'7", 319 pounds. True sophomore out of Houston, Texas. This guy, Neil, the left tackle for the Cardinal, was the number one recruit in the country when he came to Stanford. He started as a true freshman and was the first true freshman to start for Stanford on their offensive line since 2000. We heard a similar stat with Panay Sewell for the Ducks earlier right. this year, but left tackle Walker Little, 6'7", 319, true sophomore. What kind of matchup is that going to be like between him and a guy like Jalen Jelks? Well, it's a great matchup because it's speed, too. You have their physicality. Everybody talks about, oh, the physicality and the physical. The game is that way. I don't care, but speed does help. And Oregon's got, I think, two physicality as well as speed. And when you get Jalen Jelks on the edge, Austin you on the edge, mm-hmm. and Justin Hollins mm-hmm. on the edge, they put him in pass rushing situations on third down as well. And that's the situations we're talking about. But you're going to see a lot of a lot of safeties making tackles here. Nick Pickett, Amadi, these guys got to come up and make plays. Uh, they'll be really, instead of 8, 10, 15 yards on the hash marks, you'll see these guys now creeping up a little more seven to eight yards because of that run threat. And I'm just, again, excited to watch the speed against what we think is the most disciplined offensive line. They're ranked fourth by a lot of different rating systems, offensive lines in the country. You know, Alabama's like number two. Auburn's like number one or something. Oregon's like top ten. Mm-hmm. These guys are ranked fourth from left tackle to right tackle. So, But the speed that Oregon has is going to present a lot of problems for those front, front five guys. Also, if you're going to the game or you're watching on TV, keep your eye out for right guard Nate Herbig. Junior, 6'4", 334. Nate Herbig went to St. Louis High School, the alma mater of Marcus Mariota. Honolulu. That's right. 808. Honolulu. He was a freshman All-American in 2016. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 right guard last season. He was a preseason All-American going into 2018. This guy is a run mauler. And, Neil, you said something earlier this year that, that stuck with me. You said, basically on any given play, take a look at what direction... The left guard and the right guard take off the snap. Whatever direction the guards are going, 90% of the time, unless it's a counter or a play fake rollout, that's the direction that the play is going to go as well. So when I'm talking about a big run mauler like Nate Herbig, my eyes are zoomed in on right guard, number 63. Him against Jordan Scott, the nose tackle in a 3-4 for Oregon. I could watch those two every snap this game, and that's the only thing I care about. I love that matchup. Well, you got that's because you got a boring life, man. If you want to watch, <laughs> if you watch the offensive guard and nose guard, good for you. I, I, I don't mind watching between the hashes, but man, for me, I'm looking outside the hash. This is a speed game. It's going to be fun to watch how they spread out. And what Stanford does so well too, not just using the tight ends, but we haven't talked. We'll start talking about you know JJ Arcida Whiteside. I mean, that guy to me is going to be the difference of this football game. Hmm. If anyway they get him eight to nine, ten different touches. Uh, he's so fun to watch. He doesn't play 6'3 and 225. There's no way. Usually in a, in a roster, when you're 6'3 and 225, you put 6'5 and 250. This guy plays 6'7. He plays 6'7. The, the, what I've seen him on tape and the games I've watched live, 
He plays six seven, and he's going to be a difficult assignment for both the corners and the safeties for the Ducks. Well, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, you have raved about this guy every single show we've had this year, and there's reason for it. He was the high school Gatorade Player of the Year coming out of the state of South Carolina as a high school senior. He's on the Bolitnikoff Award watch list. In three games this year, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside has 13 catches for 324 yards and eight touchdowns. He's averaging 25 yards per catch, Neil Lomax. 25 yards a catch. And I tell you what, when we see this guy make highlights, 80% of the time he's on one-on-one matchups with corners on the outside that can't compete with his physicality. Why? Because you have to load up the box to stop Bryce Love. I mean, that seems to really bring into clear picture Stanford's game plan offensively. Yeah, Graham and Lenore on the outside. It's got to get some help from Amadi. And if Javon Holland comes in, he plays a lot to number eight. The other nickel back, call him a dime, dime corner for the Ducks. But it's just body on body because Ducks do a lot of, I call it cover one. Usually have one free, and then the rest of the guys play man underneath with some combo coverages, what they call it a clue. And I don't want to get too difficult with that. But again, Whiteside, is, he plays 6 7. Anytime they're inside the 15 yard line, watch for fade after fade, back shoulder after fade. That's what you're going to get from the Cardinal. JJ, our single wide side, going to be an impact player for Stanford. Can the Ducks slow him down as well? That's another key to the game. All right, more countdown to kickoff coming up. Peter Sampson's got a scoreboard update and traffic update for you as well. This is 1029 750 the game. Approaching the final minute of this first quarter. Blounts for the pocket. Open in the end zone. Touchdown, Oregon State. Trevon Bradford already his fourth touchdown catch of the season. And the Beavers are an extra point away from tying the game. I swear, Roxy Bernstein hasn't had to leave the state of Oregon in the last month. That uh, call from Roxy on the Pac-12 network. He did every one of the duck first three games and now he's doing the Oregon State game uh that call was when the Beavers tied things up with Arizona seven to seven and since then it's been all Wildcats Arizona 28 Oregon State seven early in the fourth quarter from Corvallis welcome back to countdown to kickoff Judah newbie Neil Lomax here on 1029 750 the game Neil this is so disappointing yeah it really is and watching it live it's even more (laughs) frustrating to see just the ineptness offensively. I thought this would be another 35-27 game. Oregon State, uh, Connor Blount went down with a little injury. Jack Coletto came in just for one snap. I go, oh, maybe he's out. So this, this is four games in a row, by the way, folks, that Oregon State has had to use two quarterbacks or even three against Ohio State because of injury or whatever. That does throw some interesting, you know, the, the rhythm and just your confidence level. But I'm, I'm shocked at that score, uh, especially in Corvallis. Uh, I guess a little side note here. I was Khalil Tate, by the way, he's like on 75% here. That ankle is really bothering him. It really is. It's obvious. He's not the same player he was last week, the week before, or especially since last year. year. And But if he's out, a little tidbit for you, and you didn't know this, so the, the backup quarterback is Rhett Rodriguez. No way. The son of... Rich Rod, Rich who was Rod's there, kid. yeah, he went to high school there, and uh, right there in Tucson's <laughs> Catalina High School, got a scholarship there. So if Khalil Tate goes out, so that asks the next question: Is Rich Rod someplace in the stands? Is he? There, there's no ways on the sidelines, right? That wasn't exactly an amicable breakup. And I'm not going to go. Rich I'm Rod not going to say what else he might be doing, so I won't go there with that. But 
But I, I bet he is there. But if if Khalil Tate goes out, little little, little Richie Rod coming in. Little Rich Rod. That's so, an incredible storyline. Well, what's worse than incredible though? It's twenty eight seven. Right. Judah, it's 28-7, Wildcats in Corvallis. I picked Oregon State. I, I, I did, too. We they talked were... about that. I thought they would come off that Nevada loss. They'll flush it, come out, play strong. And 13 minutes left, fourth quarter. Beavers have the ball, but down by 21. All right. As we continue to move around the Pac-12, there was a great game last night. USC and Washington State went down to the wire in the Coliseum. Fele, the blocked field goal. Washington State goes conservative at the end to try to tie things up with a late field goal. It gets blocked. Clay Helton, huge, huge win for Clay Helton to get the Trojans to two and two as they take down Wazoo on a Friday night, thirty-nine to thirty-six. Yeah, a great football game. I mean, it really was until that last minute and a half, or even the last two minutes, that last drive, the game management. I was it's so out of character. Uh, for for Mike Leach of what happened to that third and eight. I just kind of you just fast forward. The entire game was awesome. I mean, amazing. Uh, think about this, guys. There was no turnovers, zero turnovers in that game. Gardner Minshew was thirty-seven for fifty-two, three hundred forty-four yards, three touchdowns. J.T. Daniels seventeen for twenty-six, two hundred forty-one yards, three touchdowns. No picks, no picks at all. Uh, Washington State had over four hundred forty yards total yards. Uh, USC, 380-yard total yards. Great football game. This is Mike Leach. And third and eight, you run a zone to go ahead and kick the field goal to maybe tie? Maybe not to win, but you, hopefully you tie. To me, that was so out of character. And you're kind of going back to scratch your head. We're all, you know, okay, we're all kind of Monday morning quarterbacks. But you're like, what? Uh, that was a big surprise. What a great, clean game. Big difference with this one against fourth down conversions, too, for Washington State. They were three for three. For fourth down conversions, so I figured, hey, they're going to go third down, maybe, maybe now it's fourth and three, and you go for it. And he didn't. Tempted the field goal, got it blocked. It was a lot of fun watching freshman Talanoa Hufanga for USC, the Corvallis native, who decided to go to the USC Trojans. He did get trucked in this game for a touchdown. He did, <laughs> but he did the, Crescent, Crescent Valley High School. That's right, right, Crescent Valley. But as a true freshman, starting for USC on defense, where they've had safeties. By the likes of Troy or Taylor Mays and Troy Polamalu, I mean that is not insignificant. That's a big deal. Don't for forget Tim McDonald, Ronnie Lott. I'll go. Yeah, got, okay, I'll let's that. go way back. Schools on some really that. good safeties there, but they both played for the 49ers. Ended up in their pro careers, right? And Tim McDonald was our uh, with the Cardinals. He was a second round draft pick with the St. Louis Cardinals back in the day, and hmm. was probably one of the best strong safeties I've ever played against. And uh, we traded him away too. But yeah, Timmy Timmy Mack came from USC. Probably in 86, 87, something like that. And, uh, but again, I, I just thought it was a classic Friday night, Pac 12 at night. It, it was a great football game for football fans. It really was. Let me get your quick thoughts on where JT Daniels is at in his career now because we were both high on him. You kind of convinced me to be high on him. You're like, this guy's legit. He's for real. I don't care about his age or his inexperience. He's taking control. Then a couple bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, Actually, literally, bruising his throwing hand against Stanford in the 17-3 defeat. Saw vulnerability at UT Austin. Tough place for a freshman to play. Three touchdowns, though, last night. And I tell you what, 
he was trusting his receivers to make plays for him on the outside in one-on-ones. And even with even with safety shading over there, he was throwing those balls up and they were coming down with it. What do you make of JT Daniels? So yeah, far? and I was the one that last week, if, he, if the team struggled against Texas, he would be pulled. I, I'll go back. People remember the show. I, I talked about that. Mm-hmm. I think Clay Hilton would, would have pulled him. The game kind of got out of hand. I mean, Texas got two, three scores ahead. So you're but, like, but that was later in the fourth quarter. It, it was, but yeah. then again, still in... He's so young. I mean, he is. By the way, he's really ticked off, by the way. I just found out from his dad because it was a Friday night game. He's missing homecoming at modern day. He wasn't going to go to homecoming and take out his girlfriend or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, it's a Friday night game. <laughs> he should be at homecoming. The guy should be at homecoming at modern day, and he's playing Pac-12 football, ESPN, Friday night, and he lit it up. And I told you, if, if he could beat out those three or four guys, he deserves it. And uh, very impressed with his showing last night. You know what? Give Clay Helton credit. This is kind of a make-or-break season for Clay Helton, one of the nicest guys in college football who just hasn't won enough games with the talent he has. And he decided to ride or die with a true freshman quarterback when a lot of coaches, in my opinion, would ride with a more experienced guy because it's the more safe play and then keep the true freshman quarterback in your back pocket later in the season if things aren't going well. Be like, all right, let's play the young guy. Let's get a second wind. No, he went with JT Daniels from the outset this year. I kind of respect that. I mean... Results will speak for themselves, but I do respect that out of Clay Helton. Yeah, it's a huge difference between you know the college and the pros because Hugh Jackson at Cleveland, there's a pressure there. Mm-hmm. You better you better put Baker Mayfield in. You I mean, you, you better okay. Yeah. In college, no, you got a couple of years there, but you're right. Clay Helton's not Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly will have two or three years to build back his problem. So will Scott Frost. Oh, I was man. disappointed to see that that score today against Michigan. We were talking about that too, and we'll get more about that after the break. That was a tease right there, Neil Lomax. You're a radio professional. That old segue. You got to segue those <laughs> things in, Judah. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk to Tyson Alger live from Autzen Stadium, leading you up to Ducks and Stanford. It's countdown to kickoff. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax on 1029-750 The Game. Well, I think we all know what's up. Who has the best fan base in the entire world? Who is- So the goal for tonight is to break the decibel record in Autzen Stadium. You got me? Let's go. You heard it from your commander-in-chief in the Duck Nation, Mario Cristobal. I think that they heard you. That was Mario Cristobal on college game day this morning, and he wants the Duck Nation to break the decibel record. Not sure what that is, but his point, <laughs> it holds water. Duck fans got to be loud tonight at Autzen Stadium. Prime time, 5 o'clock kickoff on ABC for Oregon and Stanford. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, countdown to kickoff. And uh, let's go to Autzen right now and talk to Tyson Alger of The Athletic. Tyson, what's up, my man? Hey, how's it going, guys? So Pretty good. good coming on today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm trying to temper my excitement because it's easy to get too hyped. Do beat riders get too hyped? Uh, no, no, we, we, we have no, emo- we have no emotions. We're robots. Um, you know, this is just clocking in and clocking out for us, Judah. And, yeah, there's no cheering in the press box, Judah. See, they cannot oh, cheer. See. There's no, yeah. Uh. He gets his little buffet. He has his pass, gets his free <laughs> no, food. But, uh, Judah, Judah's excited about the left guard and the right tackle. That's what he's all, he's got like a 60 number on. I've never seen a guy come to a studio with like a 65 number on. What the heck's that all about? <laughs> but they are they are pretty good but, uh, up front, aren't they? Tyson, the Stafford Cardinals got some big boys up front, don't they? Yeah, they they they, they absolutely do. And honestly, that's that's going to be one of my favorite matchups to watch uh, in, in this game. Is you know a, a lot's been made out of uh, uh, kind of the, the the rise of Jordan Scott, Oregon's 
uh, incredibly uh, hefty uh, nose guard there, and and just the, the, the push he's been able to get, the push he's been able to get in on the lines and be able to not only uh, uh, be kind of the main force behind Oregon's uh, rush defense, which is allowing just 1.7 yards per carry right now, uh, but it's also pushing things off to the side too, which is which is where you're seeing a lot of success for Jalen Jelks and and some of those outside linebackers like like Justin Hollins coming off the edge. Hollins, who had just a, a absolutely ridiculous game last week. Uh, I, I think all those guys are going to be pretty key, with, especially when you're, you're faced with containing a guy like Bryce Love in this game. Yeah, and I was talking to uh, Jordan Kent last last uh, last week and well as Chris Miller. I mean, that Justin Hollins reminds me of a very skinny, young Charles Haley when he was in his prime. People don't recall too much of him. Everybody remembers, uh, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor coming off the edge or other great pass rushers. But uh, Justin Hollins has that, and... He's got that special motor. I mean, he got to left side, right side, puts a hand down, stands up. It's been, been, been a really amazing player to watch. Well, and, and, and I think it, it just uh, highlights even a player like Jalen Jelks better because, you know, over over the last couple of years, they, they've kind of moved Jelks around trying to figure out if they want him being, uh, you know, on, on the edge of the line there or if they want to bring him back into uh, being an outside linebacker. I, I think some of Holland's success is, is – um, really allowed them to keep Jelks there on as, as the, the main pass rusher, and obviously Hollins can do that. Uh, but he's also shown he's he's pretty good in uh, coverage. I believe he had a pick last week. Uh, so I mean, just being able to have those two guys has been a really big boon for this defense. We're talking to Tyson Alger of the Athletic. Uh, Tyson, you're pretty familiar with the dynamics at play when Oregon takes on Stanford at any point in the last decade. These uh, games seem to take similar shape. But what makes this matchup different in any way If uh, as you go about kind of preparing for the matchups on the field? Does anything stand out to you that's different from Oregon-Stanford matchups of the past? I, I mean, I think when people think of Stanford, they kind of think of usually the, the grounded pound and, and that sort of thing, but... Uh, you know, Stanford's got some absolute playmakers at wide receiver. And if, if we have seen one problem with this Oregon defense so far, which I don't think there's been a ton of problems, I do like the way that they have been able to prevent opponents from sustaining large drives uh, repeatedly in games. But they have been prone to giving up a big play. And a guy like uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a big-bodied guy. He can go up and get it. He's really great at making adjustments. Uh, to the ball in the air, and obviously he's uh, got speed there too. So uh, this this isn't a, just a Stanford offense that it's going to pound the ball. They can take the top off if Oregon wants, decides to try to you know stack the box and focus in on the run there. So that that's definitely going to be something uh, maybe a little bit different about uh, Stanford's offense than we've seen in recent years. How about Justin Herbert coming into the spotlight? How big of a game is this for him? Uh, this is far and away the biggest game Justin Herbert's played in. I mean, that that freshman year, uh, you know, he, he played in some, uh, pro, you know, important games for himself. And uh, But, you know, a 4-8 and eight season, there's nothing really that can compare there. And, you know, any any chance he had of facing this type of game last year was blown away when he fractured that collarbone against Cal. So, um, you know, this is, this is going to be Herbert's first real true test on a national stage. And, um, you know, when you do look at the season he's had so far, I mean, his, his touchdown numbers are there, his yardage is there, uh, but I really think you'd probably want to have a better completion percentage than the, the sub-60 he has right now after playing those three defenses, but I, I do think a lot of that has been on the receivers. I mean, we've all seen the drop passes, but uh, that game last week, Herbert just wasn't crisp. He started out, um, 
he started out pretty errant with the way he was throwing the ball. So I, I think him getting off to a good start this week and being able to complete a, a few, uh, uh, you know, decent passes in the first couple drives is, is going to be really key to Oregon's momentum. Yeah, he'll he'll be the first to tell you that, you know, he's not happy with uh, throwing for under sixty percent. He's throwing right now fifty seven percent pass completions, uh, but hey, forty six for eighty one, uh, eight hundred forty yards. The key for me, though, is 12 touchdowns. How efficient and effective is that? So, you know, everybody's given Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. I, I'm curious, too. you got eight, nine different platoon receivers coming in, and you can do that in college high school. You have, you know, the situational uh, core, the different personnel that come in. I think that's a bigger fact than, than really worrying about what Justin Herbert's going to do. I'm more worried about those seven, eight, nine receivers, making sure they're in the right spot. They're running these combo routes, making sure they're in the right position, because I guarantee you, what I've seen of Justin Herbert, he'll put that ball where it's supposed to be 99% of the time. Oh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you know, you, you can look at the, the receivers and in the running backs. Uh, you know, these this is going to be a game where you definitely see uh, – a lot of a lot of players got run through those positions over the first three weeks, but at, at this point, it's going to be whoever's making plays are going to be the ones that are out there. And uh, on the wide receiver side, I'm I'm kind of in, interested in seeing what Brennan Schooler is able to do. Uh, he missed last week with or he had that concussion, and um, I think right as he was starting to show like some of that chemistry that him and Herbert have together, you know, he, he's not Oregon's most electric receiver, uh, but it looks like they do have a bit of chemistry. He he does come down with the ball. Uh, he, he's not as, as drop prone as some of the other guys are. So, uh, you know, a schooler in the end zone in, in, in some of those formations where we're going to need somebody to go up and get it, I, I, I'm looking for that a little bit today. Mario Cristobal, first Pac-12 game as a head coach against David Shaw, the winningest coach in Stanford program history. Tyson, Stanford's got to have the coaching advantage in this particular matchup, do they not? I, I mean, I... Yes, uh, and, and that's no disrespect to Mario Cristobal. We just haven't seen how he's been able to coach in games like this. I mean, David Shaw, in the way that he's run that Stanford program and, and turned them into a, a perennial top 25 contender for the last decade, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you're, you're comparing Cristobal to an awfully good head coach right now. So, I, I mean, yeah, Stanford does have the coaching advantage in this game. Well, and to me, again, Tyson, this is Neil Lomax. That just comes down to time management and game management. Right now, the players got to play. I mean, you've been around there all week. Now it's it's in these kind of games, the the great players have to make the plays, and he's got them all. I don't care what movie you show. I've heard about that. What music you play? <laughs> what decibel record you want to break? The players have to play, and they've got they got a bunch of good ones. So right now, he's already been he's the game manager and let these guys play. I'm asking you though, defensively, offensively, who are you more concerned about, the Ducks' defense or the Ducks' offense? Uh, I'm concerned about the Ducks' offense. I, I, mm. I really like Oregon's defense right now, and, and that's not to say that I think Oregon's offense is a liability. I just think they've been less consistent through those three games. I mean, you know, we, we've seen uh, Justin Herbert uh, have some of those spectacular passes. You know, you can think of that 14-14 pass to Jalen Red, but they just they just haven't really played with kind of that tempo and consistency that you're used to seeing in Oregon offense. So I, I don't really think they've they've reached their peak yet, and, and they're still obviously trying out different players that. Uh, different positions. Uh, you know, the offensive line had some struggles last week against against the run uh, against the the rush defense. So um, it's it, it's weird to to have a, a a game of this magnitude here in Eugene and kind of 
not know what you have as with the offense as much as what you do with the defense, which is kind of a stark contrast from maybe that Oregon football that uh, we used to know, know earlier in the second. Last 15 seconds for you, Tyson. You got a prediction. Yeah, so I, I think there are a lot of ways that this game could go wrong for Oregon, but I, I just feel like in this atmosphere, Justin Herbert on the stage, I don't think Herbert's a guy who does kind of wilt under this sort of pressure. Uh, I think in my my prediction piece yesterday, I, I wrote Oregon 35, Stanford 28. Um, I, I think if, if Oregon can get it above 30 points, I don't know if Stanford can hang with them. So uh, let's go uh, Oregon in the upset today. Appreciate you, Tyson. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks, guys. There it is, Tyson Alger. He's got a duck win. Who does Neil Lomax have one in this game? Upset. He well, says it's an upset if the Ducks win? They're, they're an upset. underdog. They're an uh, underdog. That's what they're Portland Timber Soccer coming up next. Me and Neil are going to KXL on 101.1 FM. See you then. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on FM News 101. KXL. And welcome in to another hour of Countdown to Kickoff here on FM News 101 KXL alongside the College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby. What's your prediction for today's game? Oregon and Stanford. If you're on your way to Austin to watch the game, go ahead and give us a call at 503-417-9595. 503-417-9595. Got you with the game day traffic. Spinning it, Jeff Thomas. What's up? Appreciate you, Jeff. Betcha, bud. And uh, we're talking all things Duck and Stanford. Alongside Neil Lomax, I'm Judah Newby. You can also tweet us as well at KXL News with your prediction. All right, this is hour two of the program after hour one was over on 1029-750, the game. And, uh, Neil, this is a big one. We're finally talking about big, big football between Oregon and Stanford in this game. Well, we are, but I don't. I want to talk about the big one for my Portland State Vikings. we got to give them my Portland State Viking <laughs> update. Who, who really cares about the Ducks or yeah. the Cardinal? I don't know, big Pac-12 matchup. But yeah, we got this is college football. Okay, college football. So I know Linfield. I think Linfield has a bye. George Fox. Lewis and Clark, Jay Losey got a, got a big win uh, last week. So you got to kind of pump up and have some pride in local college football. There's some great, great football being played throughout the Northwest here. So, And by the way, I talked to Chip Kelly this week. He guaranteed me they would not lose from UCLA. <laughs> they would not lose. So I got yeah. the guarantees. So I went to Vegas, put all the money on that UC, the UCLA Bruins will not lose this week. What kind of line do you get on UCLA against a bye week? I get no line. I get no line whatsoever. I don't need a line. I don't. Even I money. Just, no, I don't. It's even money, and bye has been right on all the time. So four. There's four. Colorado. It's Colorado, Cal, right? UCLA and Utah. Utah have mm-hmm. the buys this week. Four teams on bye in the Pac-12 yeah. this week. So it's, it's a little bit of a lighter schedule and. A light Saturday, considering one of the Pac-12 games was last night down at the Memorial Coliseum with USC inking one out over Washington State. And we talked about that was a great, great football game. But So give me the update at Hillsborough Stadium. I know you're online. You're keeping track of it. I got my other notes going on with nationwide scores here because I'm still... I'm disappointed in my buddy Scott Frost. Nebraska took a hard one there. We'll talk about the Wisconsin later on. Alabama's rolling on A&M, man. They're just putting it on him. So... Portland State Vikings are down, is that correct? They are down. They are down. It was a 6-3 game at the end of the first quarter, and then Montana State went up and put up a 20 spot in the second quarter. Now the first five minutes of the third quarter, 
The Bobcats have added a field goal. So it currently reads Montana State 29, Portland State 16 from Hillsborough Stadium. Set up for Stadium. a perfect comeback. So you folks driving down Highway 26, <laughs> I mean, make your way to Hillsborough Stadium. I'm sure there's plenty of seats over there. But this is this is big for Barney in my school at Portland State because we haven't had the best run for the last year, year and a half. I mean, PSU hasn't had back-to-back wins because we won last week against uh, College of Idaho. We haven't had back-to-back wins since 2015. We haven't had a big sky win since 2016. But this all-time series is 20-10. and 10. And why I bring that up, because memory for me, in 1977, my second start at Portland State was against Montana State. Wow. At Old Civic Stadium, Montana State Bobcats come to town. And all I remember was a cold, frigid night, and I only threw for like six touchdowns. So I was really disappointed. We only won, like, I think we won 55 to, to 30. And uh, it, it, was, it was fun. So I got, Miles Davis reminded me of that, that Montana State game. So I was way back in 1977. Only six touchdowns? Only. Yeah, it was an off night for me. So what, what happened? Were your elbow was a little tired or something? No, no, right? my elbow never got tired. I was never tired. We threw like 300 times. And it's just Montana State's big sky. They're pretty good. Yes, yeah, They're right. pretty good. So they shut me down in the fourth quarter. You know, that's what happens. <laughs> Talking to a guy that finished seventh in the Heisman Trophy voting. So go Vikings, man. Go, go Vikings. Vikings. Come back and beat them. But uh, last year, I know Montana State beat, beat us up in Bozeman 30-22. Uh, to 22, So we need some redemption. We need a victory. Come on. Go Vikes. Come back and beat those Bobcats. All right. Here we go. 503-417-9595. Your prediction for the Oregon game. What's the biggest concern for you going into this game? Is it the play of the Duck defense against Stanford offensively? Is it the play of the Duck offense against that physical, strong Cardinal defense. And as we bring up that topic, Neil Lomax, let's talk about the quarterback, the signal caller, the right hand of Justin Herbert, who has an opportunity to take advantage of the national stage and perhaps have one of those Heisman moments everybody's talking about with a guy of his talent. Five o'clock on ABC in prime time. This is his moment. This is his opportunity. And for for the entire Duck team, this is where I think Three quarters of the nation will go, oh, wow, they're back. These are the Ducks we used to see four, five, six years ago, uh, even not that long ago. And I, you're right. It, there, is, there is pressure there. This is not, maybe not the make or break, but it certainly will help. I mean, a, a victory here, and Justin does what he used to do. I think Tyson brought up a good point. Well, last year, he was on his way to, I think, being, it could be a Pac-12 player of the year, Pac-12, court, number one quarterback, at least in the Pac-12, top three or four in the country, breaks his collarbone. And people forget about that. And you, you break that clavicle, uh, you're, you're not coming back the same person. He comes back six weeks later, and you know that's, that's where he's making it up right now. So no question, big stage. We, we talked about it. We've been pumping up this game way too long. So I'm so excited to watch this game and figure out, are our predictions kind of true? We're, we're, we'll stand, is Stanford's defense that good? And we talk about Justin Herbert. This defense now will be nothing he's seen in three weeks. Again, no disrespect to Portland State. Yeah, no disrespect to San Jose State. No, to Bowling Green. This is Stanford. And they got some studs. And we talked about some of the defensive linemen. But the key for me is the linebackers. And one of them is a local kid. Joey Alferrari from Jesuit High School. Fifth-year senior. He's been studding up. The guy that everybody should be watching out for is number 27. I watched a little film of him, uh, Sean Barton. He leads the team in total tackles with 21. So keep your eye on 27. And also Amin Murphy, the other linebacker, number four. He's got 19 tackles. So Joey's a local kid. And it seems like Stanford every year, Judah, has three or four kids from either Central Catholic or Jesuit or someone. They kind of pick our pocket pretty well with having local Portland kids uh, play 
down at the farm. And how about that for the Alfieri family? You've got Joey, who is a fifth-year senior, by the way, playing down there for David Shaw and the Cardinal. He's already got two and a half sacks this year, does Joey Alfieri as well. So having him against Justin Herbert is a great storyline. But, you know, they also got Michael Alfieri playing at Oregon State. And you were telling me they've got another Alfieri boy still at Jesuit. The family's got some athletes. Uh, and the so, dad was played football at Oregon State. The mom ran track at Oregon State. I mean, shoot, that's an athletic family here in Portland. DNA. It's like, I like McCaffrey's. You talk about McCaffrey family, or too. Or the Lomax. Very, very, oh, oh, the Lomax. Well, that's Lori. <laughs> you got to give credit and give all the credit to her. Uh, but again, I think defensively, Stanford poses more problems than I think a lot of the fans. We're always talking about Oregon's offense and all the receivers and the different running back combinations you'll see. Uh, you're you're going to see Tony Brooks James get in the game. You're going to see you know Cyrus Habibi Lakeo. You're going to see Taj Griffin. You will. Darren Felix, Travis Die will play. We they've been averaging seven to eight different running backs with rushes, eight to nine different receivers, and that poses the problems for Stanford too. Who what number? Who's in? Where are they at? Is it three by one? Is it two by two? Is it empty? So the the, the chess game is what's kind of exciting. What Stanford uses does though they're so disciplined they stay in their zones. And they stay in their man-to-man coverages and their bracket coverages so well that they just don't make mistakes. They really don't. They kind of sit in there. They'll make some stunts. But uh, that's that's a chess game that I'm looking forward to see is their solid defense against the speed and diversity of Oregon's offense. You got Justin Herbert. You got him throwing the ball. But do you also have the dynamic of Justin Herbert? Running the ball. Duck fans might cringe a little bit hearing that considering that's how Justin Herbert got hurt last year was in a week five game against Cal trying to run for the goal line. I was down in Eugene yesterday. I was talking to some of the ESPN game day crew, including David Pollock, former NFLer, former defensive star at the University of Georgia. This is what he had to say about Justin Herbert in this game. I'm going to be interested in how they use Herbert tomorrow, too, because I think I would run him. I mean, I know he's a he's a great passer. I also think he's a great athlete, and I would run some that zone read to the cows come home because I don't I don't think Stanford's defense is overly athletic. It's not going to overwhelm you like some teams. He says Justin Herbert needs to run the football in this game because Stanford's defense is not as athletic as they might have been in the past. Well, if it doesn't mean he needs to. He will. He will run. That's their offense. That's he, the zone read. Well, that's he, a triple threat read. But that's how he got hurt last year. Okay, well, okay, you know, go back take Marcus Mariota shouldn't have run when he played here too. That's what got him the Heisman Trophy. That's that's the triple yeah, threat. It's a slight, His arm, yeah. No, no, no. They, they are so skilled in that type of offense. He's a big threat when he pulls that zone read or the zone option. And that's when I talk about that triple threat. He can throw, he can run, but they read coverages. They read and distribute so well. They understand the system so well. That threat that he has of the run-pass option and what I'm going to do if it's in this coverage or that coverage. And Stanford's going to set him up. When that play clock, he watches that play clock, and that play clock gets eight, seven seconds, you're set defensively what you're going to do. And Justin's going to check out of it or do his read. And and I think one out of eight times, he's going to pull it. He's going to run it. He got- he's he's going to run it. Now he knows where the sidelines are. Okay, you know how to slide. You got to practice that slide every other day. Countdown to kickoff rolls on coming up next on FM News 101 KXL. Nick Aliotti, the former Oregon Ducks defensive coordinator, and now with the Pac-12 Network, he will join us coming up at 4:33. No sooner, no later. Right at 4:33, he's trained to call in. Welcome back. Countdown to kickoff. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, ahead of the Oregon Ducks. 
20th ranked in the AP poll, taking on the 7th ranked Stanford Cardinal from Monson Stadium. Boy, is it going to be rocking, Neil. I mean, we've started to break this game down in terms of matchup by matchup. We've talked a little bit about the Stanford run game headlined by Bryce Love and that offensive line against the, the Duck defense. We've talked a little bit about the Duck offense headlined by Justin Herbert against the Stanford Cardinal defense as well. One thing that I want to talk a little bit about, though, is the coaches in this game. You have David Shaw, who has been the head coach at Stanford since 2011. His 76 wins are the most all-time among Stanford head coaches in that program's history. Going up against Mario Cristobal, coaching in his very first Pac-12 game as the head coach at the University of Oregon. Earlier this week on the Pac-12 coaches conference call, David Shaw was asked what impresses him about what Mario Cristobal has done so far at Oregon. Listen to this. What I appreciate about what he's done is to be able to say, hey, you know, there's some things that we've been doing here that worked. Let's keep doing those. Um, It's not about putting your stamp on it and making sure everybody knows that you're running the show. It's about looking at your team and saying what's best for our guys to go out there and be successful. And I believe that's what they've done. That struck me as interesting because a lot of times head coaches will want to come in and change things up, change the culture, do things my way. Cristobal, though, Neil, and tell me not whether or not you agree with this, he has instilled some of some personal things. We want to be more physical at the line of scrimmage, right? More dominant with the inside run, more physical on the defensive line. But he's also kept the spread elements of the offense and things like that. What would you think about? Well, that? that's, that's Marcus Arroyo, though. That's that's his stamp. You know, you don't spend five six years with Nick Saban in Alabama, and you were behind Willie Taggart last year. He he got a sense of what Oregon was all about. That's why he stayed. It's more than just coaching football. That. That culture, I mean, from the atmosphere of what Eugene presents itself, it's all, it's all your unique situation down there at, at Duckville. And they do a good job with that. They really do. And I, I appreciate it. And I totally get that. That's why I do it. I take the good things and keep doing those things just a little better. It might not be wrong, and that might not be right, but you'll do it a better way. I think Mario Cristobal does it a better way. He doesn't do it a better way than, than you know Coach Shaw. But he's got some interesting guys around him. I mean, Lance Anderson's been around him now for a few years. He's been at Stanford uh, for four or five years. He was under Harbaugh at University of San Diego. So the, the hmm. D.C., uh, Lance uh, Anderson's been there a while, and he had a good tutelage from, from Harbaugh at University of San Diego and at Stanford when Harbaugh was at Stanford. So Coach Shaw kept him there. The offensive coordinator is Tavita Pritchard. Tavita Pritchard was the quarterback in 07 that beat USC when Stanford beat USC under Harbaugh's first year. And by the way, Tavita Pritchard, he's the nephew of Jack Thompson. Very good friend of mine, the throwing Samoan from Washington State. There it is. I'll throw a little curveball to you there. Love yeah, it. A little tidbit. Love so it. he's the OC. They understand what the, who they are, what they do. Uh, again, the matchup to me, though, still is off Stanford's offensive line, those big boys against the speed, and diversity, too, of Oregon's front three. We've also talked about how special it is when coaches come back to coach their alma mater and how rare it is when they have success there. David Shaw went to Stanford. He was a receiver at Stanford from 1991 to 94. One of his head coaches, Bill Walsh. How about that? Now, this was the second time when Bill Walsh was coaching at Stanford. The irony of all that is that David Shaw's father, Willie Shaw, was a longtime assistant coach at Stanford, and when the the job opening came up in 1992, 
Meanwhile, Shaw was an undergrad. David Shaw was an undergrad at Stanford. His dad, Willie, was up for the head coaching job before they gave it to Bill Walsh back in 92. I mean, it's just funny, those little tidbits and the, those little uh, connections yeah. that a guy can have to a lifers. program. These guys are lifers, you know, and you, you mentioned that. I've I seen some of your, your pregame notes that you sent me, too. And, you know, not that 76 career wins aren't, aren't bad, but that's the most that's the most in Stanford history. That kind of surprised me a little bit, too. That's not right. like a whole lot of wins. No. You know, and that just tells you, you know, Stanford's, it, you know, it, it's, again, you think Eugene's that unique, unique community. Come on, it's the, the, the docs, it's Eugene, Grateful Dead, this and that. It's Phil Knight. It's all <laughs> that. But Stanford, it's its own element. And speaking of Phil Knight, he's got his footprint, excuse the pun, footprint, at Oregon, That's and amazing. he's got his footprints, too, down there at Stanford, getting degrees from both schools. So he's he's kind of sitting there wearing a little green, but he's also got wearing a little red. That's why he wears black. He just wears black. I don't think I've... I, see? I, I see. He wears black like he's going to a funeral. No, it's Johnny Cash. I mean, come on. Johnny Cash wasn't going to a funeral all the time, either. And he's almost always got uh, you shades. Know, shades on. That's the thing. Like I, I don't know if I've ever seen his eyes. But and it's Uncle Phil. Thing. It's Uncle, Uncle Phil. Phil. He, he, undergrad, I, don't, undergrad don't, jumps don't, master's don't degree. Don't say anything negative. Don't go against Phil Knight now, dude. You're gonna get hey. on my bad side. Hey. I don't, don't go on Uncle Phil. I'm not. I'm not uh, going shades, against no Uncle shades. Phil. He's awesome. I smile. love all my relatives. And he's always smiling. And by the way, you've got some Nike stock, right? Yeah, a Nike, bit. Nike's little, doing great. A little bit. Yeah. I saw that they closed at their highest number and like. Forever last so year. So you go outside the sports page sometimes. <laughs> Only when it, oh, yeah, every so once in a while. Good for you. You know, I'm proud of you now. I appreciate that. Good. It's all being. I was concerned about you. Well rounded. Well, you know, you were concerned about me when I said my most exciting matchup for this game was the right guard against the nose tackle. Yeah, you're in the '60s, but that's what I love about Jordan Scott. <laughs> I love, I love a college. You're, you're a nose, you're a nose tackle. You're a two gapper. You can wear 34. <laughs> See that? <laughs> I, 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 I love that stuff. You get linebackers wearing 11 and nine. I got. That's why we love college football. Yeah, it's it's great. Here, one more real quick, uh, quick audio cut. We all love Lee Corso. Lee Corso making oh, his pick. This is what Lee Corso made his pick late this morning on the on a college game day on ESPN. Was he going to pick the Ducks or the Cardinal? Look at that duck. Oh. Does that duck look very confident to you? No, no, I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> Give it to you. you got to go with it? Hey, I didn't come all this way. We came too far for you not to not pick this duck. duck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. The duck is happy. We got a lot of talk right there. Easy. You got him in a nice yeah. safe position. Yeah, see. That's good. That's good on the suit. Perfect. See, see, that's why Lee Corso did not call me back. Because he, he's a weasel. He's a peer he caved in the peer pressure. He's at he's down there. There's no way he's getting out of there alive. If he puts that tree on. No way. Or whatever Stanford is, the band or whatever he's gonna put on. Uh, he's not leaving. He's not getting outside. He will not make it to Junction City. He could not get that far. Harrisburg, maybe, maybe <laughs> Harrisburg before they they found that Lee Corso and put him up in McKenzie River someplace. He'll be in some shack. That guy wouldn't make it out unless you put that duck hat on. And I don't know. I don't quite agree with Lee though. We'll see. This is the nineteenth time that Uncle Lee has picked Oregon on College Game Day. Nineteenth time he's picked him to win. I think he's only picked up against picked against him like one or two times. How about another guy on uh, college game day? Desmond Howard.
Desmond Howard, Des, what does he have to say about Justin Herbert? He had some pretty strong comments on Justin today. This is an NFL caliber quarterback, I'm trying to tell you. And don't think he can just throw the ball. He can run it too. No pressure. Justin wants to go down the field with the ball. But he's six foot six, guys. When he starts to go, those long strides, he can eat up yardage. To me, people are talking about Nick Bosa at Ohio State and Oliver at Houston, in my opinion. When when you watch this young man tonight, you're going to watch the first draft pick in the NFL draft. Oh, man. Done. Ooh, ooh. Done. Oh, Mackle. Done. I'm done. I'm on. You got me all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Corso falling out of his chair. Well, that's not, hard, that's not hard to do for Lee Corso falling out of his chair. But preach it, Desmond. What, what church is Desmond going to be out tomorrow morning? What Baptist church in Eugene? We'll go hear Desmond preach it, brother. That's right. Preach it, man. Preaching to the Herbert Choir. Neil Lomax, do you think Justin Herbert, could this could be his coming out party and potentially be the number one pick in the draft this time next year? Oh, again, I don't think he needs a coming out party. I, he doesn't need it. This, is, this game, though, is going to make three-fourths of the nation again go, whoa. That's what I kind of said. Reset your button. Oregon, if Oregon could win this football game in a press away, because the ratings for this one, this is the primetime game. 8 o'clock, East Coast time. ABC, not just on ESPN, it's on ABC, mm-hmm. and I think that makes the, the highlight for Oregon again. It's about the Ducks, and it helps so much, not just in recruiting, but in attendance and in uh, the education system. I mean, they, they've talked about enrollment at U of O because of the football program. There's been some studies done on how uh, it's almost like 30-40% growth outside the state of Oregon that they get students to come to U of O because of the football program. That's right. This is another way to do it. It's bigger than just football, and it's bigger than Justin Herbert. Believe me, this is a lot bigger than number 10 playing quarterback. Well, Mario Cristobal knows it. He said this on game day. Well, I think we all know what's up. Who has the best fan base in the entire world? So... So the goal for tonight is to break the decibel record in Otson Stadium. You got me? Let's go. You heard it from your commander-in-chief in in the Duck Nation, Mario Cristobal. I think that they heard you. All right. They're going to try to break the decibel record. We'll see if they can. It's Ducks. It is Stanford. Nick Aliotti, former Duck defensive coordinator, will join us next. You're listening to Countdown to Kickoff with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax on FM News 101 KXL. Counting you down to kickoff here on FM News 101 KXL. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. And we got ourselves a big football game. Oregon and Stanford Ducks, 20th in the AP poll. Stanford, number seven in the AP poll. Stanford, a favorite by two and a half. Let's go to the phones right now and talk to former Oregon Duck defensive coordinator. Now with the Pac-12 Network, he joins us each and every week. He is Nick Aliotti, and he knows a thing or two about playing in these Duck-Cardinal rivalry games out of the Pac-12 North. Coach, good to talk to you. How are you doing today? Great, Judah. How about yourself? I am so good, Coach. I am so excited and hyped as a fan and as a uh, as a just someone interested in good college football for this matchup between the Ducks and Cardinal. When you think of your past matchups with Stanford when you were the Duck defensive coordinator, what kind of memories come to mind? Well, I'll tell you what, we've had some really tough games with Stanford. I mean, uh, my last four or five years there with Stanford, every one of those was a hard-fought game. Whether it was home or away, I remember, I remember the tough loss 
in, uh, I want to say 2014, no, 2013. 12. Yeah. 12. It was 12. I'm sorry. In 12, when the overtime loss, Zach Ertz, the controversial call that, uh, I'm still, I'm not sure he caught it. I'm not sure he didn't catch it, but <laughs> they ruled it in. They did rule it incomplete on the field in today's world. It still would be incomplete, I think. But that one stands out. Uh, because that was a tough loss for us and we probably could have won the conference had we won that game. What is it about Stanford that is makes them so difficult to deal with? I mean, they, they seem countercultural to most of the Pac-12. Well, Stanford's a lot like, I liken Stanford a lot, not exactly, but to a team that used to run the wishbone. You know, they run with a lot of, meaning this, they run with a lot of offensive linemen, they run with tight ends, more tight ends than most people, and they put them next to the tackle, which you don't see much anymore, which I like to call putting a, a tight end in the D area when they line up again close to the tackle. So they, and with two backs and, and quarterback under center from time to time, so it's different as far as your run fits than, than opposed to uh, spread offenses. So they create problems in the sense that you don't see this too often and you have one week to prepare a different type against a different type of offense like again if you were playing against a wishbone it's not the wishbone but it's different compared to what most teams are doing nick aliotti joining us on countdown to kickoff coach is it possible to stop bryce love i think he's a very good running back is it possible yeah it's possible san diego state did a great job against Bryce Love, you have to decide, you know, you need to pick your poison because if you load the box too much, uh, it's been shown that K.J. Costello and, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and the tight end Smith there can hurt you throwing the ball down the field. So you have to mix up coverages and give them disguises and different looks, but you have to, you must first and foremost stop the run and stop, which means stop Bryce Love if you're going to have a chance to win. You can't can't let... Stanford be two-dimensional. you got to stop their run. How much of that, on from a defensive perspective, is execution, but also how much of it is mindset and just trying to stay the aggressor and stay downhill because Stanford always wants to be the aggressor, it seems, at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, you know, I bet Jim Levitt has his team geared to making sure, I'm sure, all week, Judah, all they've heard is, we need to stop Bryce Love. We need to stop this run. We need to make sure we stay in our gap. We need to read our keys correctly. So I think Oregon, and, and, and let's face it, I don't know much about either one of these teams after three weeks, to be honest with you. I'm not sure whether Stanford can run the ball like they once could, and I'm not sure uh, you know, how good Oregon is because they haven't been, been challenged yet. So we will have a great idea today on how good uh, – both or either of these teams are because it's going to be a smash mouth football game, I believe. And the team that wins in the trenches and does stop the run or the team that does run the ball is probably going to have a great chance to win the game. One could argue another unknown is the kind of factor Autzen Stadium and the crowd will play in this game. There hasn't been that electric atmosphere that Autzen was known for, in my opinion, since 
the 2014 game against Michigan State, which was back in week two. You were a part of so many big games in Autzen Stadium. Can you tell us what it's like, especially as a defensive coordinator and, and you know, helping out your defense with all the noise? When Autzen really gets going, when the fans are really into it, what kind of advantage does that play for you? Oh, it's a huge advantage. And tonight, I would expect, I haven't been there in a while because I, I just haven't been to a game because I've been working in the studio on Saturdays. But <laughs> I do remember when it's rocking and rolling, particularly game days there, it's a night game. The, the atmosphere is going to be electric. It's two 3-0 and teams. It's, it's a, a, a two teams that have really battled, as we mentioned earlier, for the championship in the North for the most part the last six, seven years. It is going to be loud. And as a defensive player, when that noise is going, it just juices you up a little bit extra, and it's very, very difficult for the offense sometimes to get on the same page. I know they'll go with Tyler Counts, but it's still difficult. I remember we played UCLA on game day way back when, and I think their first three plays were false starts. So that crowd could really help you. I'm getting hyped just thinking about that crowd noise, Coach. It's going to be so much fun. On the other side, is there anything to trying to reel in the emotions of these 18 to 21-year-olds? I mean, you don't want to have... You don't want to be over-aggressive if it means costing you discipline, if that makes sense. In your experience, is there anything to trying to temper the emotions of your players, or is that something you actually want to use to your advantage? Well, I know what you're saying. You know, you don't want to be so hyped up that you can't think. You know, you can't, you can't get to the point where you're so, just like, like I said, so hyped up that you can't really think about what you're doing. So mm. once, you know, usually... Usually there's always that little bit of butterflies and anxiety before the game starts. That's just natural. And in a big night game, you've been sitting around the hotel all day. Both teams are going to be amped up and hyped. Once you get that first hit in you, whether you're, you get hit or you're the hitter, you, it tends to settle down and then you're in, you're in the flow of the game and you hear the crowd, but you don't really even notice the crowd once the game starts and you're into it. So, uh, I think they'll both be fine there. I never minded a penalty where a guy was going full bore. I'd rather have a guy going full bore and get penalized than for too many guys going too slow and ease it up. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right, couple last quick things for you, Coach. And Nick Aliotti is joining us on Countdown to Kickoff. You have David Shaw, the winningest head coach in Stanford history. And he is a most stoic guy. And it seems like... His team almost feeds off his stoicism. On the other side, you have Mario Cristobal coaching in his first Pac-12 conference game. Does Stanford have the coaching advantage? Well, you you always would lean toward the experience. Uh, I think Mario Cristobal is a good football coach and has done a good job from what I've seen from afar in his first three weeks, first three games there. But yeah, I think experience is always huge in any profession. So, uh, you know, if you were going to, you know, how they give who has the advantage on this or that, you'd have to give the advantage a little bit to David Shaw because he's been around the block and done it a few times, particularly in this conference, and has done it out to the stadium against Oregon. So you'd give a little bit slight advantage to David Shaw. Finally, are you comfortable making a pick on this game? Absolutely. Who do you like? I don't really know 
I'm going to answer it this way. I'm not sure about either team right now, whether I, I don't know how good they really are. I know that they're both 3-0. They've taken care of business. I like teams that have a dynamic quarterback. And Justin Herbert, to me, is the best quarterback in this conference. Oregon at home, electrifying crowd. I think Oregon wins. Coach, I like the way you think. I think Duck fans enjoy the way you think right there. It's going to be a heck of a football game. Thank you so much for taking the time to give your thoughts about it. Thanks, Judah. Have a great day. There it is. Nick Aliotti's got the Ducks. Who does Neil Lomax have? Predictions. Keys to the game. That's coming up next in our final segment on Countdown to Kickoff. Ducks in Stanford at 5 o'clock on ABC. All right, here we go. Final segment here on Countdown to Kickoff on FM News 101 KXL. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. It's time for our rapid-fire predictions on this football game. Oregon and Stanford. Stanford has won the last two matchups with the Ducks, but they have not won three in a row against Oregon in the last 20 years. You have to go back to 95 through 97 that Stanford has won three in a row from the Ducks. Also, since 2011, the winner of this football game between Stanford and Oregon has gone on to win the Pac-12 North Division five times since 2011. And yes, I know Washington's good, but my point is... Stanford won this game last year. Stanford beat Washington. Stanford represented the North when it was all said and done in the Pac-12 title game. I think Oregon has a similar opportunity in front of them here. Okay, we'll get our predictions on who's going to win or lose this game at the very end of the segment. Neil Lomax, let's go rapid fire. Matchup by matchup on the field. I'm intrigued what you think is going to happen in this game. And let's actually start, though, with the Stanford quarterback who we haven't gave much love to yet, K.J. Costello, because he keeps progressing in terms of his talent and we know he's got weapons around him as well but what do you think KJ Costello is going to do against the Ducks defense? I think he's going to do what he's been doing for the last year and a half and that's just control the ball, control their tempo, control their rhythm I like you through that little, give him some love, I like that that was good running game, he will make sure Cameron Scarlett's in the right spot, he'll make sure Bryce Love's in the right spot, he'll make sure John Smith's in the right spot, he'll make sure all the receivers are on the right spot believe me, he will know where JJ's at at all times he will definitely know where J.J. is at all times. He will be 12, 13 for 22, 210 yards and two touchdowns. Hmm. That's a, that seems like a pretty good stat line for him. Now keep in mind, he had a two-interception game last week against UC Davis. His ratios right now, seven touchdown throws, four picks. Going into Autzen, Duck defense has to be focused on trying to turn him over because Neil Lomax, how about this stat that I came across as well? Under David Shaw's tutelage, Stanford is 44-6 and six when they win the, the turnover, turnover battle. Absolutely, and they're a, that's, that, that's why they're this pro team. Nick Alioli talked about they're like a wishbone offense. I mean, they're, they're a pro style, two tight ends, two backs. They control the football, and that means you won't turn it over. You'll take some. They're plus 16. They're plus 16 averaging the last two or three years. Plus 16 in turnover ratios at the end of the year. That's amazing. So, who takes care of the ball, wins this football game. Okay, Duck defensive coordinator Jim Levitt. One of the highest paid coordinators in the country. What's his game plan going to be? What would your game plan be when you're going up against a Stanford? You're going to see six or seven guys inside the hash marks. That's six, seven guys in the box. Linebacks are tight. They're three, four defense. Safeties will come down. Uh, again, like I talked about, uh, Amadi, the, even the corners, Graham, Lenore are going to get a lot of tackles. This will be a six, seven tackle game for safeties and corners and linebackers. Special teams. 
Here's here's something real fascinating to me because yeah. we can easily forget about this. Both kickers in this game, by the way, both kickers are Hawaii natives from Honolulu. Adam Stack for Oregon, and uh, the guy Jet Toner is his name. Jet Toner is the kicker for Stanford, and he's really good. He's on the Lou Groza Award Watch List, which goes to the nation's best kicker at the end of the year. While duck kicker Adam Stackneal has been yeah. banged up, and he's finally returning from injury in this game. But these games, these Oregon-Stanford games, they often come down to who can kick at the end of the game. I mean, special teams is going to be a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not just special teams, the kickers. You're right. The punters and kickers, the only time you hear their name mentioned, or the long snappers when they do something wrong. <laughs> when they screw up or miss one, that's when you hear their name. But that's a great point, though, and we talked about that during the break, is it might come down to a three, six-point game. That means you got to make your extra points for sure. And when you have those two chances for field goals, you have to make them. Also in this game, Cameron Scarlett, Central Catholic alumnus, two-time state champion. He's the kick returner for Stanford. He can be electric back there. So, Duck fans, keep an eye on number 22 in white tonight, Cam Scarlett, of course, from Central Catholic. And Stanford special teams, they haven't allowed a kick return of 30 or more yards in two years. It's the last time they played Oregon. When Charles yeah. Nelson was returning kicks, yeah, 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 field it, position will be will matter. It, it will, but I think it's important to understand it's not about this Bryce Love. I mean, Cameron Scarlett's going to get twelve or thirteen touches. Mm-hmm. He had eight carries last year, so he's been here before. Not his first rodeo either. So the combination of them of those two backs is very important. Okay, Oregon's run game. A lot of different guys touching the ball. What kind of impact do they need to have in this game? And what does that look like? Is it inside game? Is it outside game? Is it Herbert running the ball? It's all, all of it. It's a balance. It's what they read against. If people don't understand, it's not about the play call. It's the execution of it. That inside play can't bounce out. So, again, you're going to have Todd Griffin, Tony Brooks-James, all those guys carrying the ball. Felix is going to carry some. Travis Dye, the six or seven receivers. It's Justin's job to make sure he puts them in the right spot, he reads it correctly, and he executes. He's the field general, and I, I have no doubt he's going to have one of his better games tonight. And again, it's, it's going to come down. It's going to be four quarters. After the first quarter of electricity, all the hype, we're all game day, all that crap, all the music, it's gone. The decibel level. I mean, what a, the decibel record. You, you got, you got 120 decibel. That's a, that's a fighter jet engine. Okay. It can't go over 120 or bust your eardrum. So keep <laughs> it cool. Play four quarters and just have your poise because whoever turns the ball over in that fourth quarter is going to lose this football game. Oh, that's a huge point. Yeah. All right. What about Oregon's offensive line? Panay Sewell, left tackle. Shane Lemieux, left guard. Jake Hansen at center. Dallas Warmack at right guard and Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle. Neil Lomax, they are going to have a huge task in front of them against Stanford tonight. They will, but I, I trust Big 58 on the left side. Panay Sewell's going to do fine. Throckmorton, number 54, will do fine. Uh, I think, again, here comes Kano Dillon and Jacob Breland are going to be a big part of this. We kind of, no one's really talked about, quote, the tight end position again. They're in 80% of the snaps as well. There's going to be some big plays for number 85 and for number 27. So, Duck fans, uh, keep your eyes open for those two tight ends. By the way, Stanford, in the past, they've had defensive linemen drafted high in the NFL draft. You remember Solomon Thomas, 2017, third overall pick out of Stanford to the San Francisco 49ers uh, when they made that trade with the Chicago Bears at number two in the draft. Last year, they had a defensive lineman, an All-American, Harrison Phillips, he got drafted in the third round. Big 66. To the Buffalo Bills. 66, yeah. My point, though, is there's no Solomon Thomas. There's no Harrison Phillips on this D-line. 
You know, it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. And the Jimmys and the Joes look different this year for Stanford on the D-line than they have in years past. Yeah, but number 97, Dylan Jackson, special. Uh, Javon Swans, number 51, the other defensive end. So our down three for the Ducks are pretty special. But these down three guys with the nose guard, Michael Williams, they fill in. Stanford, think about Stanford. They just keep on reloading. They just keep on reloading with these guys. They got these four or five-year seniors. There's, there's a reason why. They're graduating. They're going for master's degrees. These guys are a pretty smart football team. That's why they're always pretty good. They are always pretty good. What about Autzen Stadium, Neil? Does the noise factor, it has to play a role yeah. for Oregon to help them out. And you've played in some Absolutely. tough environments yeah. in your day. And Coach Aliotti talked about it. The fault starts. I mean, we were on the road in the Cardinals. I mean, the worst place ever, no question, was any dome. And anytime you went to a dome, New Orleans, we struggled so bad. And they were bad. But you couldn't even hear in there. Detroit, Seattle, and the King Dome. Autzen's just like a dome. And people hate to go to CenturyLink to play the Seahawks. That 12th man's tough. Autzen has their 12th man. It will be exciting. It will be rocking and rolling. But again, the best way to do that, and I think Stanford will, you control the football, you score early, and you control the game. All of a sudden now, second half, that electricity, that excitement's kind of down because, uh-oh, you're a little worried, and it's going to be a football game. I heard Stanford center Jesse Burkett talking at practice this week. The way he put it was, we got to keep our poise in the noise. Can you keep your poise in the noise? And when I think of Stanford, I think of discipline. And frankly, I think of poise. <laughs> well, when the center says that, you better, because he can't hear the snap count. They'll do a lot of silent counts. So you're watching today, folks. Watch the left guard tap the center, or watch the center watch the quarterback's foot. There'll be no verbalization. No, You cannot speak out. You can barely check things off. It's going to be very interesting to hear when Costello comes to the line of scrimmage and tries to make change calls. It's all, It's impossible to do that with that noise. All right, final minute. Neil Lomax, your prediction on this game. First, just flesh it out. How is it going to go, and then what's your final score? Well, I, I think it's going to be a great football game. I hope it's kind of like last night. It's clean. Uh, Oregon, eliminate the penalties. That's been one of their issues in the past. Keep it under eight, seven penalties for 80 yards. Stanford will kind of keep it clean as well. The turnovers, big thing too. I still think at this time, I got this gut feeling, Stanford's the better football team right now today. Maybe not two or three weeks from now, but today. So I got Stanford winning this game by six points. Wow. Are they going to get to 30? Is it a 30-24 type deal? So now I got you got another question for me. Are they going to go to 30 now? No, I, I'm just trying to picture what kind of game is it going to be. Is it going to be a slug it out 14 to 8? I mean, you know, 16-10 yeah, yeah. or what do you mean? I, okay, I'll go 36-30. Oh, so high score. Yeah. I'll tell you what, nine out of the last 13 years, Oregon or Stanford, when they played each other, one of the teams goes above 40 points. Okay, and your pick. I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks. 27-24. to 24, Adam Stack puts Hawaii on the map tonight with a game-winning field goal. Wow. Tune Dude. in for the Oregon College Football Post Game Show on our sister station, 1029 and 750 the game, right after the final whistle of Ducks and Stanford. This has been Countdown to Kickoff with the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby. We'll see you on the other side. Enjoy the game, everybody.